everyone, and welcome back to Phonication, the podcast dedicated to equal representation, primarily in the form of making sure you hate everything equally. I am your very unqualified host, Jack, and today I'm here to talk to you about vaginas. <laughs> no lead up, no foreplay, just I'm here to talk to you about vaginas. <laughs> I said that like a preacher or something, like somebody sits down on a backwards facing chair to a group of students and goes, kids, I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. That's me right now, your preacher of vaginas, the preacher of vagina teachings, your teacher, the vagina preacher. <laughs> this is going downhill really, really fast. I'm so sorry for my existence. <laughs> so many, many episodes ago, I did something called the Penis Awards Show, and it was hands down one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. I'm very proud of it. And at the end, I think I mentioned that I plan to do the same thing, but for vaginas. And at the time that I said it, I meant it. It turns out I've been postponing the Vagina Awards show because it's too hard to find nominees. For penises, I gave out awards and even honorable mentions in categories such as the smallest penis, the largest penis, both overall and relative to body size because that's very important. Largest sperm load, prettiest penis, ugliest penis, most penis, the most flexible penis, the most resilient penis, highest sperm count per ejaculate, lowest sperm count per ejaculate, like largest sperm, smallest sperm, <laughs> the best female penis, all sorts of categories, right? And I had so much information that I had to sift through to find my winners. It was, it was great. I really loved it. But not so with vaginas. I have been scraping the vast corners of the internet looking for vaginas to nominate in similar categories. And what I've found instead is a vacuum. That's not slang for vagina. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to say the research isn't there for me to find. Whatever I can award, I will do that at the end. But first, I need to complain. Because an interesting piece of research I did find was published by Malin Aking et al. And I actually don't know if I'm saying et al correctly. I only ever see that in writing. I never, it never comes up in conversations. So I'm sorry for all of my bad pronunciations that I probably do. I just see words in writing and I don't know how to say them because it doesn't explain it. I'm sorry if I fucked it up. If you guys just, if your ears are hurting and you're cringing, I'm sorry. But anyways, um, Melina King's team, <laughs> they published a piece of research about the male bias in genital evolution studies. So to summarize their findings in real English, because theirs is riddled with phrases like evoke and hence and morphological and no shit, they even wrote per se. Honestly, no wonder people rely on Facebook to do their own research when I'm reading actual journals and I have to translate every sentence from a language that I already speak. But anyways, to summarize their findings, a lot of genital research in the past has been focused mostly or sometimes entirely on the male genitalia and it has persisted and even gotten worse actually, despite many critics pointing it out. A lot of research has been done based on hypotheses like the lock and key proposed by Dufour, where male genitalia has a lot of diversity and females do not have as much diversity. Basically, you know, the female is the lock and the male is the key. There's a lot of keys and not a lot of locks. Now, the problem with relying on hypotheses like this one is that it's from 1844. It hasn't held up to testing and it was proposed out of already existent bias. I mean, it was 1844. While it was certainly an age of discovery, it was not an age of accuracy. Like just a couple years later, Edward Clark published a whole ass book called Sex in Education, where he argued that the sum of energy in a body is constant. So if a woman received a higher education, 
That energy she needed to study would be diverted from her reproductive organs and she would dry up and become weaker depressed. Like, yeah, college kids are depressed, but it's not because they're using up their vaginal energy. <laughs> Anyways, back to the first study. This penis bias has apparently gotten worse in the last 20 years, like in the 2000s, the modern age, even though the studies that have occurred have shown that vaginas can vary just as much as penises. In the case of Phyllophagia herticula scarab beetles, there's actually more variation between vaginas of different species than of penises. And vaginas are so drastically different between species of sepsidy flies that it's used for identification. And for Anthophagus dung beetles, their vaginas evolve much faster and in more drastic ways than their phallic counterparts. So the argument that the vaginas don't need to be studied because a hole is a hole is, scientifically speaking, stupid and unfounded. The good news is that the lock and key hypothesis has been largely dismissed by experts in the field, but the bad news is that it's had enough of an impact to still influence bias. And honestly, same with Darwin. He proposed that the females were more coy and the males were always the sexual aggressors, and that kind of input has also had a lot of influence. So to give an example and finally tell you guys about some crazy vaginas, female fruit flies had some super fast genital evolution. Actually, males were also featured in my penis awards show, so I am very happy to be able to discuss the females. For context, the males decided to evolve their penises to have spikes all over them, because medieval torture in the bedroom is horrifyingly common in animals. The females, realizing that they had to get injured by those ejaculating weapons, decided to evolve their vaginas to have little pockets for those spikes to fit into so that it wouldn't, you know, fuck up her insides. And I'm happy for her. God knows women love pockets. I'm just imagining somebody walking up to a fruit fly and going, nice vagina, and she responds, thanks, it has pockets. I would be that fruit fly. <laughs> but importantly, this shows that it's difficult to interpret the function of certain aspects of male genitalia or behavior without examining the female counterparts. This disregard for vaginas has also historically affected how things like sexual selection are viewed, like males having a greater benefit from having multiple mates than females would, or females being less eager for mating. Obviously, a very inaccurate viewpoint, because as I've talked about extensively in this podcast, nature doesn't give a rat's ass about your gender roles. When we do study vaginas and female behavior, we get to learn all sorts of cool things, and how the coevolution of genitalia impacts the other sexes. Like how for water striders or pond skaters, or whatever crazy name you decide to call them, they never had a courting ritual. Males just mounted whoever they felt like, even other males, they just love to fuck. Understandably, the females got very sick of having no say in the matter, and evolved to grow an actual shield over their vagina. And I'm not making up that term on my own, it's actually called a genital shield, which is amazing. It basically functioned like a chastity belt for bugs that males could not penetrate without properly given consent, which I am very, very on board with, no means no. Unfortunately, the males did not get on the feminism train and decided to go the incel route instead. If the female water strider doesn't raise her blast shields, the male climbs above her and starts tapping on the water, luring predators to her. So basically, it's a death threat. If we don't have sex, you die. Naturally, the female decides to not fucking die, which, by the way, does not qualify as consent if there's anyone listening who isn't aware. That is called coercion. But in response, the female developed the same spines in her vagina that males commonly develop on their penises. When I read that, I got so excited that it was going to be like that movie Teeth, or that reverse condom covered in spikes that a South African doctor invented. Just asshole water strider penis gets stabbed with vagina spikes. I was ready for it. 
but it looks like all it does is prevent sperm from getting in, which is still good, but you're settling for less than your full potential, girl. This penile preference isn't limited to non-humans. If anything, it's even more prevalent in human-based studies, which is something I briefly touched on, non-sexually, in the first episode of my human series, an episode that I had intended to be devoted half to human penises and half to human vaginas, but ended up being only about penises because I couldn't find any studies discussing the ways human vaginas evolved as our species did. Just penises. Don't get me wrong, penises are crazy and fascinating and should absolutely be researched. But vaginas are equally wild. Ask any vagina owner. I swear mine has an actual personality. Or maybe even like split personality disorder. I kind of want to explain, but people at my work talk about my podcast and I don't need them knowing and discussing my vagina's personalities. An insanely important consequence of this penis-centric bias is that women are very neglected in medical research to a really enraging degree, especially in reproductive health. Let me give you guys some numbers so you know I'm not just talking out of my ass here. Around 30% of women experience some form of reproductive health issues, like infertility, heavy periods, endometriosis, that kind of not fun, oftentimes very painful stuff. And yet, there's five times more research into erectile dysfunction than into PMS symptoms, which by the way, at least 90% of biological females experience it, and instead have to settle for mitol, misogyny, and ice cream. An analysis of research funding conducted by Arthur Mirren determined that there is a significant bias in funding when the effect on men and women is unequal. For example, endometriosis, which obviously only affects people born with a uterus, received 13 million in funding in 2019. Uterine cancer received 36 million, cervical cancer received 106 million, and ovarian cancer received 168 million, whereas prostate cancer alone received 263 million. Even female-leaning STIs are underfunded, and realistically, undertaught in public schools, which is probably why when I was 19, I thought that I had a brand new mutated STI, and I had cried about it in my doctor's office before she very, very kindly told me if I'm going to go camping and have sex, I should pick a location that does not have poison ivy. <laughs> I knew to look out for bumps and burning and itching on my vagina, but I had never heard of rashes appearing on your boobs before, so I was terrified. <laughs> Anyways, this kind of bias is also found in clinical trials. Up until 1993, women were actually deliberately excluded from medical trials because the period hormones could skew results. And yeah, that can be true in some cases, but I feel like that means that we should be researching how hormones that affect 50% of the population can change the results. Especially because that means women and even pregnant women are prescribed medication that was only tested on men, in dosages for men, and can be affected differently by it. And so can their fetuses. It also means that doctors often end up misdiagnosing or even disregarding symptoms by female patients because the diagnostic research only focuses on symptoms presented in men, which is why everyone knows the symptoms of a heart attack is pain in the chest and left arm, and that heart disease disproportionately affects men, even though women often don't always experience chest pain during a heart attack, but do experience nausea and pain in their back or their jaw, and that cardiovascular diseases kill almost equally the same number of women as men, it actually just tipped over to killing more women than men just like last year, I think. I definitely noticed it when I was inhaling everything I could find about ADHD right around the time of my diagnosis. Women, and especially prepubescent girls, have very, very different symptoms and are insanely underdiagnosed compared to men because the teachers and parents who would recognize it and even the psychiatrists who would diagnose it are only familiar with the symptoms that boys and men typically have. 
So all of this means we should definitely be including female animals, including human animals, into our research. Firstly, because what the fuck, how is that even something that needs to be justified? Secondly, because vaginas are just as cool as penises. Like the vagina owned by Tatiana Kozhevnikova, declared by the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's strongest vagina, capable of lifting 31 pounds. I am very embarrassed that her vagina lifts more weights than I did this week. Also, a blogger named Zoe Stavry, when faced with a yeast infection, figured she may as well make the best of a bad situation, went hyper-utilitarian, and used the yeast to bake a loaf of sourdough bread. And she ate it. And she said it was delicious. <laughs> and despite how sex-positive I am, I admit I was still a little horrified that she actually ate it, but realistically, that's no worse than almost every episode I put out. Honestly, it's pretty tame compared to how many times I had to yell at my dog for eating poop. I'd rather eat vagina bread than poop. I feel like that's a good would-you-rather to ask people. Fantastic icebreaker, getting to know people. Here's another one for you guys. It's related. Would you rather eat ice cream-flavored poop or poop-flavored ice cream? The overwhelming majority of people that I've asked are hardcore ice cream-flavored poop eaters, but I think that's insane. I know it'll obviously taste better, but at the end of the day, you're still eating poop. Isn't that how we got cholera? And fuck knows what other diseases? I'm picking poop-flavored ice cream every time. Easy choice. Another easy choice is when I think Zoe Stavry fucked up. If you've got access to a yeast supply you're trying to use, why would you bake bread when you can make beer? Bad life choices. Some humans think that vaginas are so fucking cool that they have two of them. It's super rare, but oftentimes women don't even know that they have a second vagina and a corresponding second uterus until they're at the gynecologist asking what the fuck is going on and why is she still bleeding even though she put a tampon in. It's because apparently you need two tampons because you got two vaginas. Uterus didelphus is the medical term for it. And honestly, it's so much better than having two penises. Having two vaginas is usually no big deal in your everyday life. And most of the possible complications result in needing some extra attention during pregnancy. One lady who has two vaginas decided to separate business and pleasure to a whole new level and kept one vagina reserved for her escort service and one reserved for her personal life. Having a second penis, on the other hand, sounds very cool and awesome in the bedroom, but the reality is awful. Usually, both penises are completely deformed. They don't function properly, the urethra hole it comes out at the wrong spot, the testicles are deformed, and it also is probably gonna come with a shit ton of other issues with like your gastrointestinal tract or even your musculoskeletal system you're more likely to get spina bifida, if I'm saying that correctly, probably not. But if you don't know what that is, it's when you're developing as a fetus and your body doesn't finish closing up your spine. So shit's just exposed and vulnerable. Very not good. If you find a monkey paw, do not wish for two penises. Two vaginas is so much better. That one escort chick is now making bank on OnlyFans. Honestly, if I had two vaginas, I think I would do the same thing. I'm already considering subscribing to her just because it's neat. Although, two vaginas is not the most vaginas one can have. In one of the few categories I can give a vagina award to, I award most vaginas to all marsupials, the presumably proud owners of three vaginas. I talked about it in my kangaroo episode, but basically, the vaginal tract looks like a kind of circle with a line in the middle, and then the two sides of the circle are for sperm delivery, each leading to their own separate uterus. Then, when it's time to give birth, the uterus spits the fetus into the middle vagina, which means the kangaroos and koalas and wombats and shit can be eternally pregnant. I don't know why anyone would want that, but it's a cool option to have. 
Now, if I'm gonna give out an award for most vaginas, obviously I have to give out an award for least vaginas, which I hereby declare Lampreys the winner. Lampreys are those jawless fish that look like eels, but with a face that's just a bunch of teeth. And then they sucker onto animals and even humans to suck their blood. I guess they put so much energy into growing like 12 rows of teeth that they forgot to grow a vagina or an oviduct. Instead, for the female lampreys, the egg travels through the body cavity and is pushed out of something called a genital pore, which looks exactly how it sounds. Like, I don't know, imagine pushing a marble out of your belly button, or maybe like squeezing a zit, but instead of pus and sebum, some caviar comes flowing out. I hope you're hating that imagery. I'm loving it. <laughs> so no vaginas for lampreys. I do want to give out some honorable mentions though. Firstly, to one of my top three favorite animals of all time, the spotted hyena. While females do have a vagina, they are the only mammal that does not have an external vaginal opening. Their clitoris, which functions like a pseudopenis, covers the vagina hole, so males have to wiggle their penises into the clit like a sleeve. Another honorable mention I feel very obligated to present is for Persian carpet flatworms and bed bugs. Both of them, despite having a very fine, very functional vagina, only get to use them for birthing, not for sexy time. And when I say functional, I mean these species fertilize their eggs internally, so the vaginas could reasonably be used for that. Unlike, for example, fish who fertilize their eggs outside of the body. Bedbug females and hermaphroditic flatworms that lost the penis sword fight are inseminated by a process called hypodermic insemination. The males literally stab their mates with their penis wherever on the body they can get to which is horrifying and obviously leaves a giant wound vulnerable to infection. Evolution is rarely kind and it's not sentient. Evolution doesn't happen in the best interest of the animals. It happens in the best interest of babies getting born. It doesn't matter if the process is traumatic and shitty and miserable. The truth is stabbing people with penises is an effective way to inseminate them. So nature made it happen. Every time I'm pissed off about being a human who has to pay taxes and shit, I just read some biology articles and I feel a lot better about my bills. The last honorable mention is to humans. While I decided that humans are ineligible for the award because the default version of humans has genitalia, there's some shit that makes me just, I just wanna talk about it. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a 15 year old girl in South Africa who was born without a vagina and had just about the absolute fucking worst luck ever. Despite having the most solid birth control method ever, of literally not having genitals, this bitch managed to get pregnant anyways. I'd be, I'd be pissed. The story is, she was giving head to her boyfriend, and then her ex-boyfriend walked in on the two of them and decided to stab them. Not with his penis, with a regular knife. But it actually had the same effect as a bedbug stabby penis because in the knife fight, the guy managed to get sperm on the knife before stabbing the girl in the abdomen, which somehow managed to get into her reproductive tract and impregnate her. And she didn't go to the doctors about her pregnancy until she was already in labor, since pregnancy probably didn't even cross her mind. Fortunately, the baby and the mom are very healthy. The baby was delivered by C-section. So this teenager, who thought she just had stomach pains, went home with a baby that she had zero time to prepare for. Imagine being her parents. I bet they didn't even give her the sex talk because she can't even have sex. And she gets knocked up anyways. There was another woman in Brazil this time who was born with the same condition. It's called Mayer Rokotansky Custer Hauser syndrome, by the way, <laughs> fucking mouthful. But she understandably wanted to have a vagina. Who wouldn't? I love having a vagina. So she underwent neovaginoplasty to construct a new vagina. But the method they used to craft it was 
pretty wild. This isn't a common method with, say, like, gender reassignment surgeries, since this Brazilian woman is only the fourth person to undergo this procedure. But maybe it'll be the new standard. So here's how they did it. They cut a slit where the woman's vaginal opening would normally be, and inserted a genital mold made out of tilapia skin. Tilapia like the fish. Tilapia like one of the cheapest fish. Her body then absorbed the tilapia skin and transformed it into the tissue that lines the vaginal tract. And it worked! perfectly well. She reported that she had sex for the first time and it, quote, felt good. I hope to God her boyfriend is an attentive lover. Imagine this chick doesn't even own a vagina until she's 24 and turns out her boyfriend is the kind of dude that finishes in three strokes and doesn't believe in female orgasms. She doesn't deserve that. She deserves a good digging. According to the doctors who are pioneering this fish skin surgery, it's a whole lot less invasive because they don't have to take skin grafts from the patient, which generally leaves large scars and no risk of rejecting the fish skin because it operates the same way that stem cells do. Also, I guess with the fish skin, surgery has a significantly shorter healing process. And all I can think of right now is how this adds a new layer to the term fish or looking fish in certain queer circles. Maybe this will be the new thing now. Also, I realize I should probably over clarify this for anybody who got their sex ed from public school, like I did. <laughs> the syndrome that these two women have, the mayo rock'em sock'em house, whatever it's called, it means the women don't have a vagina specifically in the medical terminology, not colloquial. They still have their vulva. It's not Barbie and Ken style. So the clitoris, the labia, the lips, all the pretty stuff, that's still there. But at the vaginal opening, it goes inward for like a centimeter, and then you hit a wall. It just ends there. The tube is gone. They built the subway entrance, but forgot to dig the tunnels. Let's get back to handing out awards. The next award is basically the counterpart to one I gave out in the penis awards show. There, I handed out the award for best female penis. So naturally, I'm presenting her partner with best male vagina, the neotrogla. While there's a lot of instances in nature where females take the role of sexual aggressor or males are commonly penetrated, the neotrogla genus, which is a teeny little cave insect, is unique because those roles are even reflected in their sex organs. The female has a penis-like organ that she inserts into the male's vagina-like organ and that penis clasps onto the genitalia super tight so that he can't wiggle away without damaging his insides for 40 hours, at least. She's absolutely taking advantage of him because the caves that the Neotrogla inhabit are really scarce on nutrients, but the females have figured out that the males have delicious nutrient-rich sperm that they're just not using. So the females evolved these penises in order to clamp down on the males and suck up his semen for as long as possible. So I'm not sure why the males evolve vaginas, but most likely, his semen receded into a pocket inside his body as a co-evolutionary thing to make it harder for the females to penetrate him and take his nutrients, and give him some choice in the matter. Then the females, in retaliation, evolved the grabbing mechanisms, and the rest is war. Even though it makes life more difficult for the males, it makes more babies. So it happened. Something I did not mention in my penis awards show though, is that the neotrogla is actually not unique, as I said a minute ago, because it happened again. A sister genus called the afrotrogla also evolved female penises and male vaginas, and it seems most likely that even though the two are related and did the same thing for the exact same scarce resource reasoning, they probably did it independently from each other. And even though they both have the reverse genitalia, their genitals are very, very different from each other. So I think that this means nature's gonna start creating more female penises and more female vaginas. One can only hope. The final award that I have enough data to present is for the world's most convoluted vagina. 
which I present to ducks. Duck males are yet another group that have no interest in gaining consent beforehand. And the female duck isn't very capable of fighting off a gang of horny males. But what she did manage to do was figure out a method for evolutionary birth control. She has this long, corkscrewed, twisty, turny labyrinth of a vagina with dead ends and probably trapdoors and shit. It's such an intense maze that Jules Howard, a science educator, created an app in virtual reality called VR Duck Genitalia Explorer, so you can navigate through it. You also get to watch a black and white video of a duck penis successfully navigating into the vagina. It's currently only available for Android, so if you've got one, you can download it right now for zero dollars. Such a good deal. Unfortunately, you won't get the full VR experience if you don't have Google Cardboard, but hopefully it'll have a wider release in the future. This is the first time I've considered ditching my iPhone. I really want that app. Having such a complex vagina that males can't navigate seems pretty counterintuitive to reproducing, but there is a strategy here. Only males that the females have determined have superior genetic qualities are allowed through the maze. It gives her control of which sperm fertilizes her egg. So if any other penis ends up in there, moving around keeps the male from being able to properly get all the way past all the crazy shit. Unfortunately, that is all the information I can give you guys today. I also wanted to go into the evolution of the human vagina, but most of the shit published in journals I can find is talking about the need and importance of studying it and giving data on why vaginas need to be studied more and emphasizing how much we don't know. That shit needs to change. We need more vaginas in our science. And don't get me wrong, this isn't me disliking penises. Penises are awesome and crazy and I love both reading about them and hanging out with them. But vaginas are completely underrepresented. The Icelandic Reykjavik Penis Museum has been thriving and open for 30 years, while the first ever vagina museum in London, only for humans, no animal vaginas, was opened this year until the landlord thought it was too inappropriate and declined to allow them to renew their lease. I will die mad about it. But that wraps up today's episode. I hope you learned a lot, I hope you're mildly traumatized, and I hope I've inspired you to donate your vaginas to science if you have one. Bye! Time, 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 time.